process of making the Indiana Jones films, uh, I kept thinking about what was Indiana Jones like as a young man, because Harrison would ask me, Steve would ask me, you know, everybody was sort of curious about, about how this adventurer grew up. And in the process, I came up with this idea of him seeing the world uh, through the eyes of a soldier and a secret agent and having various other adventures of hunting for treasure. I am a great lover of history, and I think it's very important for young people to understand the humanities, of which history is a, a major part. I think if young people see that, that people who have accomplished a lot are not that much different from the way they are, it, it gives them a little bit more freedom to, to think outside the box and to think that they can do great things. College. Welcome to episode number 363 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And this is Gabe. And this is the third installment of Indie Month. It's been kind of kind of exciting around here at Blast Points and Indie Month. Yeah, I don't know if I don't know if people have noticed or anything, but it's been kind of an intense indie month. I know we're we're a little late with this episode. It's not coming out on Tuesday. It's coming out on Friday. But I'm I probably everyone understands why because as we're recording this last week, we were in Los Angeles for the red carpet U.S. premiere of Indiana Jones and the Dial of Destiny. It was it was, it was intense. It was to say the least. We we were a little wiped out for for a multiple <laughs> multitude of reasons. <laughs> exhausted so we have seen the dial of destiny as we're recording this which is even wild to say out loud yeah i know i still every once in a while forget that it happened and then i remember (laughs) and then it's like oh yeah we saw the movie (laughs) so next week a week from the friday that this comes out on june 30th the day the movie comes out at least here in the u.s we will have uh, a giant episode with our full spoiler filled review for the doll of destiny and all the crazy stories from the premiere because they kind of go together really well but i think we we can safely before we start getting into young indiana jones which is what 363 is all about because seriously people we meant to do a young indie episode back in indie year, and we were sitting at the In and Out in Hollywood, and we were like, "What are we gonna do with young indie? We we've got to do this young indie episode. We've been meaning to do it for three years almost." Well, and luckily Disney Plus is looking out for us, and finally released young indie, at least a version of young indie that anyone and everyone can finally watch and experience 
either it for the first time or experience it again for the first time because it's been a long time. But like I said, before we get into that, we we I think we can safely kind of do like a very 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 brief non-spoiler reaction to the Dial of Destiny because, you know, maybe not everyone follows us on every social media, not everyone saw it. I mean, long story short, surprise surprise Lando in disguise. I loved it. I really did. <laughs> It, yeah, it was good. It was a lot of fun. I had a smile on my face the whole time. So it's an Indiana Jones movie. You love Indiana Jones? You love Indiana Jones movies? I think you're going to like this movie. And this is something I'll explore more on next week. But for me, for me, it was the most emotional Indiana Jones movie. There's a scene in the movie where... I cried. I literally cried. And it snuck up on me. I didn't even know I was crying. I didn't, It wasn't like a Pixar movie where it was like a slow build where it's like, I'm going to cry. You know, it was like, and maybe it was the fact that I was up for about 25 hours that day. Maybe that had something to do with it. Could have been. But my eyes were watering. And it was like, man, this movie, this movie got me. And this, this movie, st- and you know what? We're like one week later when we're recording this and the movie still has me. The movie still has me in its grip. I I told you after it was done that I need to order figures. And on last Saturday, I pre-ordered on Hasbro Plus a Helena Shaw and an old Indiana Jones with a flashlight. That's a, that's a sign that the movie got me. It's true because, you know, buying indie figures could get you in big trouble, but... <laughs> it could get me in real trouble, but the Dial of Destiny has me in its grip still. It's worth it. It's all worth it. Because I'm sitting there. Th- I got like a little Indiana Jones shrine. It's right behind me as I'm talking to you right now. And I'm sitting there watching the movie last week. And I was like, yep, I, I got to I got to represent this movie in my shrine. This this is. This is this is an Indiana Jones movie, and I'm 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 with this movie 100. percent Well, it's you know we always talk about the new Star Wars movie. It's like welcome to the family. It's like bringing a new baby home. I think it was about halfway through Dial of Destiny where I was like, this is the new baby. Yeah. Well, you know, babies keep you up all night. They make they they make you exhausted, but you love them. <laughs> Sometimes they make you cry, but you still love them. It's Dial of Destiny. That's Dial of Destiny. So. Go, you know, the movie comes out next week when you're listening to this. So go into that with with go into it with you know if if you're wondering what did Blast Points think here that's what we thought. So, um, like I said, expect a lot lot more next week. There's moments on the red carpet. Gabe knows this, where I lost my mind. <laughs> yeah. No surprises there. Yes. I, I, I may have made a fool of myself. I don't know. That's debatable. You'll hear the stories and you can judge for yourself. But there's moments where I look back and I was like, yeah, I was not in control at that moment. If, the, if there was a big dial that said excitement on it, we turned that dial all the way up. <laughs> we broke the knob off the dial, cranked it up. Something to look forward to for the big episode next week. But... This is a big episode, too. We are talking about the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Maybe one of the most important chapters in Lucasfilm history. And not exaggerating, without the Indiana Jones Chronicles, would we have the prequels? Would we have the Clone Wars? Would anything happen in its one of the least talked about moments in Lucasfilm history, but it's, it's so important. Would we even have the Disney sale and everything that's come after that? Star Wars might've been done after the original trilogy. Lucasfilm might've been done after last crusade. Or it could, or Lucasfilm could just exist in some completely different kind of way. Like last the young Indiana Jones Chronicles kept things going, moving in a really interesting direction. It's fascinating. I can't wait to talk about it. It's very, very, very interesting history. But before we get into all of that, let's talk a little bit about our personal history with the show. We were talking right before we started recording. It came out kind of in the early 90s. 
which is a weird time for you and I, right? Because like when this show was airing, we were kind of like in high school, which is like a period of time where we don't really associate it like in, in podcast episodes with like our Star Wars history because we weren't really or indie history or whatever. We weren't really doing a lot of that stuff in high school. We were busy being high school kids and doing what high school kids do, which is probably dumb stuff. <laughs> we were doing serious things like watching Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Concentrating a lot on every move George Lucas makes. Yeah. We were busy having uh, drinking Coca-Colas and eating chocolate bars and combing our hair. I, I do remember watching the first episode of the show and being really excited about it. And also, on the other hand, maybe being kind of confused by what I was watching, being like, this isn't, this isn't, this isn't Indiana Jones. But then, like we're going to talk about, though, it was so hard to keep up with this show where I was like, well, I'll keep watching it because it's Indiana Jones. But it'd be like, well, what time is it on? And you got to think, everyone, this is the early 1990s like there were no dvrs like maybe you would have to get out like tv guide to maybe figure out what time shows are going to be on you couldn't search on the screen yet or anything you couldn't do any you made you set up a vcr to record it but you didn't know what time it was going to be on so it was really hard to watch yeah i before doing this episode i had never seen any of them wow any of it. I knew it existed. I'd seen trailers and clips and even some of the behind the scenes stuff over the years, but I had never seen an episode. So this was really kind of exciting that they're, they're here now. So we both watched a bunch of episodes to get ready for this episode. Gabe, what, what was your impression of the show now that you finally got to watch it? It's interesting because in some respects, it's very cutting edge it's the future of 19 early 90s with the with the with the way they're doing the visual effects and things that that for being such an old show at this point like it doesn't feel visually old because they're doing all the tricks that are just commonplace now for tv and movies to kind of you know make sets bigger and it feels like there's a huge amount of people on screen when you know there's big crowds and that sort of stuff but then on the other hand it's very very like old timey tv where it, it just takes its time and it's a lot of like i mean half the series is like anna green gables or little house on the prairie with just like people people in the country talking about stuff and riding bikes and like like very non you know indiana jones action treasure hunting kind of stuff so it is it's this like weird mix of old-timey storytelling and futuristic 1990s technology and, and in that way it's um it's like the most george lucas thing of all george lucas things <laughs> yeah it really is because yeah it's you know you're watching this and you're like okay this is all stuff that george lucas is really into and it doesn't matter if other people are into it because he's into it and he's going to make it because he wants to, which is why there's what, like a hundred hours of young Indiana Jones. If you, if you add it all up, it's, there's so much. It's educational. It's pushing technology. It, the stories originally were told out of order. It's lots and lots of shots of like oldie timey people doing oldie timey things. Like you said, just like riding bikes and stuff. And you sit down and you watch an episode like, okay, let's get some Indiana Jones action here. And it's literally Indiana Jones working at a soda shop and some jerk bully coming in, calling him a soda jerk. And the quest of the episode, at least in the beginning, is for Indiana Jones to find a car to take his girlfriend Nancy to the prom. And then like all of a sudden action will break out because there's like a stolen car battery. It's not the faster more intense that you're kind of used to of indiana jones it does not have any kind of super most episodes do not have any kind of like supernatural element that has kind of defined the indiana jones films so yeah and again in a way it's very much the the most george lucas of all george lucas things because 
he's just given he's given you not exactly what you think you're gonna get, but it's exactly what he wants to give you, and he does not care. I mean, it does. I think change over the seasons, right? Because we kind of picked and choosed certain episodes that that were some of the more popular ones. And towards the later ones, it gets a little bit more Indiana Jones. Like there is action. There's a lot of World War One action, which is unexpected. I mean, I guess time timeline wise, it makes sense. But it's like, wow, this show's like really a lot about World War One. But you do get some kind of indie treasure hunting like towards the end. Um, and I actually at this point haven't watched any of the ones when he's a kid. Did you watch any of the kid ones? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so. I don't know what those ones are like at this point. It's weird because it's even more far removed from the Indiana Jones that we know. But also, it you know, it's a 10-year-old Indiana Jones. And just what, eight years later, well, not even by the time he was filming it, or just a few years later after the episodes came out, he started writing episode one with a 10-year-old Anakin Skywalker. And it's like, 10-year-old Indy and 10-year-old little Annie Skywalker don't even look that much different. It's kind of crazy. But it, and it's the same kind of, you know, it's I've got to just kind of tell myself it's the same kind of way of thinking of going into the prequels where for so many people the prequels were so jarring cuz they're like this doesn't this doesn't feel like, you know, a new hope or something. Where's all the spaceships and where's the used universe and all this stuff and it's kind of the same kind of philosophy going into Young Indy, where again, it's that George Lucas where he's just like, I don't care, I don't care what you want. I'm going to give you what I'm going to give you what I want. Yeah, but now that you bring that up, it is, you know, even more interesting thinking about, you know, Young Indy is a prequel for Indy and it's based on history. And because it's based on history, it's like, you know, if, if the Indiana Jones universe wasn't real history, it would be like, well, where, where are the Nazis, you know, or like, where's, where's this world war two. And it's like, Oh, and this one, we go back to world war one where, you know, where we learn where world war two came from. And, and here's all the countries that were involved in world war one that eventually become part of world war two. Like it is a very George Lucas thing of this is almost like, Hey, here's what really happened in history and kind of seeing how that kind of inspired, you know, what would the star Wars universe look like before, everything we knew and and you know before the big star war in the original movies you know what what happened before that and yeah like you said even with kid anakin and kid indy that it is kind of almost a rough sketch or draft of what what eventually became the star wars prequels in a way and and as we get into this episode it really is that because of the people involved Right. This is, yeah, you, as you're going to learn, this really was kind of the test run for everyone involved. In, you know, if we can do, if we can pull this off, then we can do three Star Wars prequels. It's, it's, it's a fascinating show. It's a fascinating history. I'm so glad it's on Disney Plus. And I don't know. I, I hope, I hope people are watching it. That's the thing. It's like, are people watching this? I hope so. The thing I've realized over the last few weeks now that there's Indiana Jones stuff on there that I wish at the top on Disney Plus there was an Indiana Jones button like there is for Star Wars and Marvel and Pixar because I can never find the Indiana Jones stuff without searching for it. Yeah, right. Why isn't there a button? We need a button. My friends call me Indy. For more than 90 years, I've lived the adventures of a lifetime. It all began in 1908 when my mother and I joined my father on his lecture tour around the world. I traveled for nearly two years, and my father's Oxford tutor was hired to guide my education along the way. But I wasn't too anxious to learn. Henry, straight back. Hater, she's a witch. Although we didn't see eye to eye on everything, we did have the most amazing journeys together. Golly, 
Sounds great. I'd like to be an archaeologist. Maybe you'll add a new page to history. I explore the great tombs of Egypt with T.E. Lawrence. Traveled to Vienna and matched wits with Freud. Painted the streets of Paris with Picasso. Debated religion in India with Krishnamurti. I've had many great adventures. Met a lot of amazing people. Visited hundreds of fascinating places and lived a life beyond imagination. All before the age of 21. There's two things that led to the creation of the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. The first one is kind of the obvious one. It makes perfect sense. Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade in 1989. The wonderful opening with Young Indy. And kind of right around the same time in 1991, George Lucas starting up the George Lucas Educational foundation or the education foundation you know this is like a weird kind of like we were saying a weird time in lucasfilm history we're years away from the prequels we're years away from even shells of the empire there isn't even star wars figures on shelves like the george lucas super live adventure was even two years away from all this to really put it in context, it's it's kind of a quiet time for Lucasfilm, you could say, but also it wasn't because it was really everything focusing on young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Yeah, here's a quote from George Lucas from Raider.net. Uh, he says, it started out of a love of an idea. I have an educational foundation working with interactive projects, and I got this idea to get kids involved in history through the young Indiana Jones character. The turn of the century is my favorite part of history because it has so much to do with the emergence of the modern age we live in today. It seemed like such a great idea and such an interesting adventure that I just got lured into it by the creative potential. I took it to the network and said, would you be interested in this? It's a little bit esoteric for television, but they said, great. They've been very cooperative, and we've been off making this adventure ever since. And it has been a true adventure. We'll, we'll see how that goes as, as this story goes on. But you got to love Lucas. He knows that it's not for everyone, right? It's like, it's a little esoteric for television. There's a little too much, uh, too much bean and not enough cream in this coffee. But that's how I like it. Well, and him talking, like we were saying before, him talking about the the turn of the century is his favorite part of history because it has to do with the emergence of the modern age we live in. And again, like we were talking about, that's 100% like the Phantom Menace, the turn of the century. It's the, the change coming. It's Yeah. So the project was originally called A Walk Through the 20th Century History with Indiana Jones. And it kept evolving until it became what we know as, or knew as, the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles. And honestly, I think a walk through the 20th century history with Indiana Jones is kind of a more... It's a more honest title? Yeah, exactly. That's what, well, not that, not, the, not that the other name is dishonest. I guess it's a more descriptive title of what you're, of what you're actually going to get, yeah. And, you know, the, the focus on history, like we said, is is one of the th- core things that kind of plagues this show with audiences. When you read people talk about like, oh, young Indy, uh, you know, like it's it's not supernatural, but it, like it can't be because he's like a kid. He can't be like unleashing the power of God or finding interdimensional beings or something when he's 15 years old. He's interested in archaeology, but it's it's these historical people that shape his life and history. But what what is really interesting is if if the inspiration for Indiana Jones, in a way, there was a little bit of the of James Bond in there. Young Indy is kind of in a way more James Bond than older Indy because so many of the episodes he's a spy for the in world war one in like, you know, doing 
espionage things. So it's kind of kind of fits. Well, and you know, and too when he's doing all that spy work, and I was rewatching episodes, getting ready for this, I was like, it made me think of Kingdom of the Crystal Skull, where he's in the beginning. I remember when I went to go see Kingdom of the Crystal Skull for the first time, and I'm like, wait, since when is Indiana Jones a spy? This is crazy. But there was probably people in the audience who were just like, yes, <laughs> he's been a spy since he was in high school. <laughs> They finally went back to the true Indiana Jones. This archaeology stuff. All I kept thinking watching these two is I wish uh, this isn't a really a spoiler for the new movie, but because it's in the trailer where, where he's talking about like he's been shot however many times and hurt by voodoo and all that. If he just listed off everyone he met in young Indiana Jones Chronicles. <laughs> I met Picasso. <laughs> Ernest Hemingway. Let, let me tell you about it. I've got lots of stories. <laughs> well, he kind you know, in one part in Crystal Skull, he did. That's true. He told Mud about Pancho Vila. And again, there was probably that one person in one screening of Crystal Skull who was like, woo! <laughs> Finally, they saw him. Knox wandered into town a couple months ago, raving like a madman. Police locked him up in the sanitarium. That's this way. Now, I took Spanish and I didn't understand a word of that. What was it? Quechua, local Incan dialect. Where's you learn that one? Long story. I got time. I rode with Pancho Villa. A couple of his guys spoke it. Bullshit. You asked. Pancho Villa. Technically, I was kidnapped. By Pancho Villa? It was a fight against Victoriano Huerta. How old were you? About your age. Your parents must have had a cow, huh? It worked out things were a little tense at home. Yeah, me and my mom aren't on the best of terms either. Treat her right, kid. You only get one, sometimes not for that long. Well, that's not my fault. It's hers. You know, she just got PO'd because I quit school. She thinks I'm some kind of goof or something. You quit school? Oh, yeah, sure. Tons of them. Fancy prep schools, teach you how to debate, chess, fencing. And I'm great with a blade. I just think it's a waste of time. You never finished? No. Just a bunch of useless skills. Wrong books. Because <clears throat> I love reading. Me and Ox used to read all the time, but now I can pick them myself. You get me? What do you do for money? Fix motorcycles. And to do that for the rest of your life? Maybe I will. Teach, you got a problem with that? No. Not if that's what you love doing. Don't let anybody tell you different. Again, this is all very George Lucas, and he was really able to push technology with this show, where we, we always talk about, like, it's, it's a real Lucasfilm project if it's telling an exciting, fun, fast-paced story. But it's also slyly moving the bar of technology forward. And another quote from Raider.net, uh, Lucas says, I was eager to experiment with a few production techniques that I had always wanted to incorporate into the making of features, but I've never really been in a situation where I could afford to do it. In a feature, when a mistake is made, it costs you a huge amount of money because the young Indiana Jones Chronicles is not very expensive to produce, they're moderately priced our adventure shows. I really wanted to see if I could successfully use feature production techniques in the context of a TV series. So part of it was a production experiment, and part of it was trying to deal with this creative idea that's sort of esoteric. He knows it was a crazy idea, but he did it anyway. <laughs> but in you know, in context, it's insane to think back like every TV show is like this now. Like, they make TV shows like this, right? And no one was really doing that in, in the early 90s. And, and this was, it was a big experimental film, right? It's like, hey, can we make a TV show how we would make a movie and do things we don't even do in movies yet because it's too expensive? Yeah, it just makes me think of where this all led with eventually the Clone Wars. And then, of course, the Mandalorian and the volume and stagecraft just really kind of changing what is possible for everyone. You, you look at all the Star Wars TV shows and they're doing movie level stories and we're getting them every single week. It's really amazing. And who was doing this in 1990? I mean, think of what, what shows were popular in 1990. Was it like Xena or something? That was not movie level effects. Yeah, it's like there was Roseanne, Home Improvement, Murphy Brown was on. There wasn't even, was there Star Trek in 92? 
Yeah, Next Generation was still on. I mean, that was a pretty big deal, and that yeah, but that, I mean, even that wasn't as as much as Star Trek is sci-fi, and you think would have a lot of visual effects. I think Young Indy. There was so much more Young Indy, <laughs> so many more hours, and it was kind of what's cool too is it's kind of the beginning of the visual effects that you don't know. The invisible visual, the invisible digital visual effects, like set extensions and and things that would have traditionally been matte paintings that are now they're able to do with actual video or bringing in matte paintings that you can't even tell that it's a painting. Which again was all leading towards this crazy idea of how does he self-finance three gigantic Star Wars movies? So how do you pull all this off? Because this is an extremely ambitious idea. Lucas first went to the indie producer, living legend, vampire bats himself, Robert Watts. Robert Watts couldn't do it, but Watts highly recommended someone that Lucas had actually met once before, the one and only Rick McCallum. George Lucas was a filmmaker with a great big job to be done. A job that needed a producer, Rick McCollum was the one. Hey, Rick, Rick McCollum. Cinema's future, he did see, was digital technology. Hey, Rick, Rick McCollum. about a classic story of an American boy who primary, especially during the first two seasons, is an American who, for the first time in popular television terms, learns everything about life that he learns, that Indy learns, is from Europe and the rest of the world. So this is kind of where the history of young Indiana Jones and its relationship with the Star Wars prequels really kind of takes off because enter Rick McCallum and Rick McCallum, as we all know and love is kind of the only person crazy enough to figure out how to really do this show. There's a great quote in the, the cinema of George Lucas book where it says Lucas spent about an hour explaining his plans for young Indy and left the meeting with the, Impression that Rick McCallum had an instinctual understanding of his aims. And Rick McCallum says what he wanted to do was break the boundary between physical production and post-production. He wanted to be able to have the opportunity as a writer and a creator to send out the most painful part, which for him is the shooting, and then edit the film and rewrite it. To do that, we had to change the paradigm of how we make films. Normally, you get an idea, you raise the money, you shoot it, you go into post-production, you release it. He wanted to get rid of all of those divisions, add new scenes, write new dialogue, and reshoot entire sequence of entire sequences if possible. That was very exciting and very dangerous. <laughs> Running to the danger. If it's dangerous, Rick McCallum wants to be there. So then how do you do this again? You got to hire writers, which included someone called Carrie Fisher, which is pretty interesting. Veteran British TV and film writer Jonathan Hale, who went on to write Attack of the Clones with Lucas. And some relative newcomer at the time, some guy named Frank Darabont who later went on to do several drafts of what didn't become or did become whatever, the fourth Indiana Jones film. Then Lucas hired a bunch of directors, some well-known names in there. You got stunt coordinator Vic Armstrong, who you know from all the, the indie movies. Monty Python's Terry Jones was on there directing. In later seasons, you had Ben Burt directing the Attack of the Hawkmen episode. Joe Johnson directing Indy being yelled at as a soda jerk. Yeah, that was when I watched getting ready to do this episode. And I'm like, Joe Johnson directed this? That's crazy. Maybe he read all the scripts and he was like, I want that one. And another big thing is hiring on production designer Gavin Bouquet, who previously had worked on The Elephant Man and actually – Worked on Return of the Jedi, which I did not know, and worked on Empire of the Sun with Spielberg. 
But we all know Gavin Bouquet as the production designer for the Star Wars prequels. Well, and uh, the director of photography is another name you might recognize. Yeah, David Tatterstall, who also went on to be the guy for the Star Wars prequels. It's all really fascinating Lucas and Rick McCallum creating this bond and hiring this group of people for like what Lucas calls this very esoteric project of walking through history with Indiana Jones. And, you know, we say this all the time, but, but it's true. Like this group of people that changed the way movies are made and shown, like they really did. And they were able to do it by first changing the way television was made just, just to get warmed up. So it was September 1990. They had this big writers' conference at Skywalker Ranch. Lucasfilm legend Debbie Fine is back doing research, and each writer was assigned two episodes based on Lucas's outlines. You know, and we mentioned Clone Wars a couple times here, but I, I, you think of all those like behind-the-scenes videos of everyone sitting around a table for Clone Wars things with Lucas and Dave Filoni sitting there, you've got to imagine that kind of doing this with young Indy and having these meetings at, at the ranch, probably the same kind of method that went into writing seasons of Clone Wars later. Yeah. I mean, really as much as young Indy is kind of, you know, the, the trial run and, and template for how they filmed the prequels, it's, you could just as easily say that it was the same thing for, Lucasfilm animation for Clone Wars because it was kind of the same idea of going in and making animation, an animated TV show, like you would make an animated movie and not thinking about this as a TV show. Like they did it like it was a movie. And that's kind of what was so special about that series. And it's the same thing they did for Young Indy. At the beginning of the series, we developed our own timeline, chronology from about 1908 to 1922, of all major events and all the important figures of the day. So we initially break down the script, all the main sets, we cover that with reference, but then details come up from location. There are always emergencies months later after you've done the initial research. We're shooting a street scene, can you clear a sign, the name of a business, we're shooting it in two hours, please. Facts. We're called in from all parts of the world uh, to meet with George, who has a master list of uh, events and story ideas. Does Indy actually get to sit down and talk to him? Or does he see him from a distance? We do one story a day, which is very intense over three weeks. And there's a little bit of the syndrome of if it's Tuesday, it must be Belgium. It can get loud. It can get excited, you know, because you've got writers in there. It can get kind of passionate, of course, but it's all to the good. It's all, you know, aimed at creating the best show that we can. Everyone gets real silly by the afternoon. Uh, and my role is kind of to be the schoolmarm, which is not the most fun, and say, you can't do that. The reason the details are important is because that's the area we have the most control. Uh, because we're taking dramatic license of having a fictitious character meet all these famous people. Mr. Picasso? Yes. We try to be as honest as we can about that. But with the set design and the costume design, that's something we can do right. We can do 100% right. And the designers care about that very much. So casting started. We had Sean Patrick Flannery playing 15-year-old Indy. And he's really he is really good. After about... One episode, I was like, I like this guy. <laughs> and he does a good kind of, he's Harrison Ford enough. And and I love the fact that, like, he'll have the hat and the jacket sometimes, but the hat and jacket are a little too big still. It reminds me of, like, Chris Pine playing Captain Kirk. It's like he's not trying to do Shatner, but he's kind of got the essence of Captain Kirk without doing, an uh, like, a jokey imitation, you know? And he has huge hair. <laughs> kind of like Chris Pine is Captain Kirk. So <laughs> he's got so, yeah, so much hair. Well, I always try to cast in my films the best actor that seems to fit the character best. I think the qualities that Sean Patrick Flannery had is that he he seemed very young and youthful and enthusiastic, uh, and um, with a little hint of 
uh, naivete and innocence that I thought would be appropriate for Indiana Jones at that age. I went on an audition, and I uh, read for the part for the casting director. I finally got to meet George Lucas, uh, Rick McCallum, the producer. We did a screen test. Never done a screen test in my life, which uh, involved full makeup, full wardrobe. We shot six scenes. And then three weeks later, I found out that I actually got the part, and I was on a jet plane to London. Didn't come back for six years. You had little Corey Carrier as 10-year-old Indy. You had George Hall playing 93-year-old Indy with an eye patch, which they said was inspired by John Ford, which is interesting if you've seen The Fablemans and how much John Ford inspires Steven Spielberg. And, you know, it's all very kind of wink-wink. Now, the George Hall stuff, if you watch what's on Disney+, Plus, which we'll get to, the 93-year-old Indy is not in the stuff on Disney Plus. So, but it's all on YouTube. Like just search old indie on YouTube and Indiana Jones Chronicles and it'll come right up. You had Ruth D'Souza as Anna Jones, Indy's mother. You heard about in Last Crusade and in Raiders of the Lost Ark. You sound like my mother. And you had Lloyd Owen playing Henry Jones Sr., which I love every scene with younger indie dad henry jones senior because he's just like junior oh junior no junior it's pretty good and he's just yeah he's just reading a book and being grouchy and, and barely paying attention it's great and there was a huge huge supporting cast of like guest stars who later either went on to be famous or both went like later showed up again in the prequels. So there was like Daniel Craig, there was like Catherine Zeta Jones, like Christopher Lee shows up, Anthony Daniels shows up, Ian McDermott's in an episode, Oliver Ford Davies, aka Seal Bibble, shows up in an episode, William Hootkins, Porkins himself, aka Top Men in Rares of the Lost Ark, Pernilla August. Shmi Skywalker shows up in an episode. Max von Sydow, Lor Santeca, amongst other things. This show's kind of crazy when you really when you really think about it. So each episode cost about 1.5 million and took about three weeks to shoot. ILM, now let's keep in mind again, this is this is the early 1990s. Think back to Light and Magic. This is when, when they have the writing conference, it's 1990. This is one year after The Abyss. T2 was the next year after that. And then after that was Jurassic Park. Again, think of Light and Magic. ILM was not in the digital revolution yet, which is crazy to think of. And Lucas had to go to this company based out of San Francisco called Western Images. Who they did the Lawnmower Man, which you know in the early '90s. If you want to know who did the crazy stuff with the computers, Lawnmower Man's where it's at. <laughs> they had this computer, right, that they called the Harry. <laughs> Do we know why they called it the Harry, <laughs> or that's just they just decided to call it the Harry? There's there's a great interview with them in this making of Indiana Jones documentary. It's 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 kind of it's kind of neat because it's so dated because they're talking about the really cutting edge stuff that they're doing, <laughs> and you just think we're two years away from Jurassic Park and how quickly that technology advanced. It's getting to a point with technology that if you can imagine it, there's machines out there that can do it. Harry's one of those machines. Um, it can allow me to take different images and composite them together into one like an artist would do with, with cut and paste, with a single image for a, for a still ad maybe. I think one of the most successful examples of manipulating some of the images that we got was a ring of horses that we created based on 10 horses that were shot in different setups so that it was 10 horses here, rotate them 30 degrees, and there's 10 more horses, 10 more horses, and 10 more horses. You know, we had some fun with that. Allison brings uh, an effects book with her. We call it the effects Bible. And we sit down at Western and go over all the effects for each show. One of the images was a plane landing at Pershing's camp in Mexico. And they shot one shot 
of a plane landing on a dirt road in Santa Barbara, and they shot another shot of Pershing's encampment in Mexico on location. And what I needed to do, along with the map painter who, who supplied me with, with a larger encampment, a, a still picture of a larger encampment, is take all of these different images and create one image that looks seamless, that looks flawless. Yeah, and going along with the whole... Lucas is doing this because he wants to do it thing. There's another great quote uh, where he says, I sort of enjoy the fact that I don't know that much about television. I'm just doing what I want to do. I'm creating this thing that I enjoy and conforming to the sort of standards that belong in television in terms of time and where the commercials go and have those sorts of things. But I'm basically getting to tell the stories that I want to tell. And that's really what excites me about this. It's very time consuming you're doing 15 hours, which is the equivalent of seven movies. Normally, I do one or two movies a year, but now I'm doing the equivalent of seven movies a year. It's really intense, but it's fun, too. I'm having a ball with the whole thing. And that's the thing, too. You read, like, in the Cinema of George Lucas book or a lot of the interviews around the time associated with young Indiana Jones, and a lot of people like Debbie Fine, who had been involved with Lucasfilm since the very beginning, since super early on, we're talking about how this show re-energized Lucas. Because think, you know, coming out of everything of the 80s and going into the 90s, which was going to be a very pivotal time, this show kind of gave him energy. Well, it, it started to prove that the, the, the crazy things he wanted to do to make movies were possible and where you know we're only years away from being far enough along to use in a in a big movie and he was having writers like meet at skywalker ranch to like hash out ideas and the show is going to be edited on edit droid at skywalker ranch and it was all going to be done in-house it was the dream the long-standing dream that he always had so everything's looking good. Everything's looking great. People are feeling good. And the show premieres on March 4th, 1992 on ABC. And the ratings were not good. And after six weeks, ABC dumped it. They didn't cancel it. They just stopped airing it. That's what I said. Like, as a kid, I was all excited to watch the first episode. It was kind of like, oh, this is weird. But then it was really hard to find episodes and then it was just like gone. And it was like, what happened to young Indiana Jones? And I remember there was like Sega Genesis games and stuff. And, you know, it's kind of like, well, that is cool, but where's the show? And so they left 12 episodes unaired and what they did air, like we said, was very different than what's on Disney plus. Now each episode started with 90 year old, Indiana Jones and the episodes week to week would zigzag with Indy's age. So one episode is 10 year old Indy and the next is 15 year old Indy with again with 90 year old Indy, 90 year old grumpy Indy with an eye patch introducing everything. I just remember there was one episode where like Indy was like in a house and like his daughter and like grandchildren showed up and the daughter was like trying to vacuum or something and old Indy was complaining and I'm like, what? What is this show? <laughs> so ABC, it's the reason for dumping it is they said it was more cerebral and not like the more action-based movies. George Lucas is going to George Lucas, and he kept going, and he kept moving forward with another season, and ABC eventually ran more starting in September 1992, including eventually his History of the Blues, with bearded Harrison Ford coming back as Indiana Jones playing a little saxophone. And they tried running Young Indiana Jones Chronicles after Monday Night Football on ABC, which just just imagine that. People get done watching Monday Night Football. It's time to learn about history, everybody. <laughs> Everybody's drunk and full of snacks. Let's Let's learn about the history. Oh my gosh So after 21 episodes ABC cancelled the show Leaving four episodes unaired Lucas ended up making a deal With the cable channel The family channel 
for a third season. And entering this third season is another prequel superstar, costume designer Trisha Bigger. So after that season, young Indiana Jones would was no more. Lucas had said that eventually he wanted to introduce characters like Belloc and Abner Ravenwood into the story, which maybe it's for the best that we never got to those Abner Ravenwood stories. <laughs> That's probably just leave that right where it was. And then in 1996, George Lucas and I couldn't find information that Ben Burt was involved, but I'm going to assume that Ben Burt was involved. Just, you know, like when we learned that the person responsible for editing the, the IMAX one hour version of attack of the clones was solely Ben Burt. Anyways, in 1996, all the Indiana Jones stuff was re-edited into 23 movie length episodes and they were put in chronological order. That's what's on Disney Plus right now. The original broadcast versions are not out there. They're on YouTube from maniacs that videotape them. But, you know, and it's even kind of weird too with these movie versions because one episode will start in like 1906 and then in the same 90 minute episode, it suddenly jumps forward 20 years or something. Sometimes it can be kind of hard to like, wait, what's going on here? So old Indy's gone. And this really blew my mind. New scenes were shot to connect some of the episodes, including stuff that was filmed while they were on location for The Phantom Menace. And the wildest story in the making of these long versions is they were filming a new scene for 10-year-old Indy, and they got Corey Carrier back, who played 10-year-old Indy, and matched him with scenes that were shot five years earlier and digitally shrank Corey Carrier to match the old footage that they shot. If, and that is some real prequely stuff right there. If they could do it, they would do it. Even if they couldn't do it, they would do it anyway. So they finally came out on VHS in 2000, along with the films in widescreen, which is crazy to think that it was 2000 when the movies finally came out on widescreen. And this is around the same time, too, that they changed the title of Raiders of the Lost Ark to Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark, which still bugs me to my core. And then they came out on DVD in 2007 and 8. And this this is crazy, too. The DVDs that came out in 2007 and 8 included 94, 94 historical documentaries made by Lucasfilm teams about the historical events seen in each episode. And think about it, this is 2007 and 8. This is like two, three years after the prequels. This is just four years before the Disney sale. Clone Wars was like getting started, and they were still doing young indie stuff. Did you get the DVDs? No, I never got the DVDs. Because <laughs> like I don't even be I don't even remember this happening. I remember the DVD sets. But I was just like, I'm scared to get those. I, I was a fool. I didn't do it. Lucas always said that, you know, as part of his educational foundation with making, getting kids access to internet and putting more computers in school, which are all things that his educational foundation did, amongst many other things, he had a dream of the young Indiana Jones Chronicles being shown in schools which makes perfect sense. They should have been. Especially considering there was all the educational Star Wars stuff in the 70s that really had no educational value other than it was just awesome to watch Star Wars at school. And in this case, yeah, there's actual useful knowledge to be gained from watching Indy on his adventures. How many episodes did we do on like film strips and slideshows and stuff that were made, the Star Wars film strips and slideshows that were made to, to be shown in schools? Yeah, but this is like, I could easily imagine episodes of Young Indiana Jones being distributed to schools along with like reading material or like kind of quizzes and stuff. I'm like, well, what happened here? And kind of Indiana Jones, the character kind of being 
the candy to help the medicine go down, you know? Here's a quote from a recent article on Lucasfilm.com with George Lucas back in 2007. He said, I wanted young people to realize that history is really about people more than it's about events. I wanted to show that those people are just like we are, regardless of their impact on philosophy, music, religion, and culture. And Indy's childhood was a natural vehicle for the kinds of stories I had envisioned. And, and, you know, here's the deal that, like we said, these episodes were so hard to watch. And the ABC clearly never knew what to do with it. It was a hard sell for people to get to just buy the DVDs or VHS if they weren't already familiar with the show. And how were people familiar with the show if they had if it was so hard to watch? But right now, they're they're there on Disney Plus. And it's probably the easiest it's ever been for people to watch the Young Indiana Jones Chronicles, or as they're called now, the Adventures of Young Indiana Jones. I would hope that maybe finally now in 2023, maybe there's kids who are watching the Indiana Jones movies for the first time. Maybe, you know, they're going to go see Dial of Destiny or something, or maybe people watch the original four. And maybe the dream of George Lucas finally with kids learning like this backdoor way of learning about history, maybe, maybe, just maybe, it's finally happening now happening now with it being on Disney Plus. And it's really kind of awesome. It, like I was thinking about it getting ready for this episode, and I was just like, streaming is the home for young Indiana Jones. It, it's the same like with Clone Wars, where people could finally watch like an entire arcs of the Clone Wars show. And it just like streaming just made sense for Clone Wars. And it's kind of Young Indy finally has a place where people can watch it, and I hope that kids are watching it and Lucas's dream is coming true. Yeah, because it's one of those things where, you know, there is so much of it that it is kind of intimidating if you had to just commit to all 23 episodes. And it's not 23 regular episodes, it's like 23 full-length movies. Like, it's... a it's a commitment. So yeah, on streaming, being able to just, Hey, I'm going to eat dinner here and, and watch a young indie episode. And it's great to just kind of be able to jump in and, and because, you know, they are kind of in a chronological order that you can watch, but they also were, you know, intended to be kind of watched out of order. So you can just kind of jump around and just have some fun and learn. And it's just super neat, too, that it's it's also the dream of George Lucas, too, of this whole idea of telling Indiana Jones' entire life where you can watch 10-year-old Indy, you can watch 15-year-old Indy. You know, some people are going to be like, is it still canon? Who the hell cares? It doesn't matter. But then you can go to movie theaters and see 80-year-old Indiana Jones in one last awesome adventure. And it's really kind of cool to think about as a fan that this is all happening right now. It's really, really great. And if you always thought Indy should be hanging out with an older Belgian gentleman, then your dreams are finally here. There's a lot of that in Young Indy. I was waiting for a shout out to Remy in Dial of Destiny. And spoiler alert, there's no Remy reference in Dial of Destiny. <laughs> the, the original Mac is Remy. <laughs> discovered Indiana Jones, a young Indiana Jones discovered the world. For him, just growing up... This is Miss Prentice. ...was the greatest adventure of all. Henry was a remarkable boy and shows every sign of growing up to be a remarkable man. Do you love me? question is, do you love me? The press calls it spectacular, dazzling, one of the best TV shows that ever happened. Tomorrow, George Lucas presents the young Indiana Jones Chronicles. Okay, Indie Month contest time update. Still 
doing the contest where we are listening to all of you listeners sending in you saying lines from Indiana Jones movies that are not said by Indiana Jones. The winner of this week will receive, just like Cheryl last week, a wonderful Indiana Jones pin sticker from our friend at Nerd Matters. So we got a few here we're going to do. We're going to do a few more with our Dial Destiny episode next week. Here's the first one from Brittany. Let's hear Brittany. Hey, Jason and Gabe, it's Brittany here. Just submitting my Indiana Jones quote. That is not a quote by Indiana Jones, as well as doing my best Sean Connery impression. So here you go. We named the dog Indiana. I know, spotless. Thanks so much. Always love listening and so excited for Indie Month and the new film. Thanks, bye. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. Okay, here's our next one from Baz. Hi lads, this is Baz from the Force Material Podcast, and I'm just calling to let you know that this is a castle. We have many tapestries, and if you are Scottish lords, and I am Mickey Mouse. You can't go wrong. You can't go wrong. It's going to be a tough choice this week. <laughs> okay, here's one from Joshua. Hey Blast Points, this is Joshua, aka Joshua the Uber Nerd. And I wanted to go ahead and send in my quote from Indiana Jones. So here we go. You have chosen wisely. There you go. Hope you enjoyed it. It's man, everybody loves Last Crusade. <laughs> that's, that's what that's what we're learning this indie month. It's all about Last Crusade. Well, let, let's hear the, our last one. For this week from Brooks. Let's hear Brooks. Is Brooks going to be Last Crusade? I don't know. We're going to find out. Here we go. You were named after the yeah. dog? It was, it was Last Crusade. It was Last Crusade. <laughs> well, all right. So, Gabe, we have got Brittany. We've got Joshua. We've got Baz. And we've got Brooks. I'm going with Joshua. You sold me. It's Joshua. Joshua, you are this week's winner. <laughs> Congratulations, Joshua and Brittany, Baz, Brooks. This was tough. This was a tough one. You're really all winners. You really are. Stay tuned next week in our Big Dial Destiny episode for the final installment. Everybody, guess what? Apple Podcast Reviews. When you get done listening to this episode, we'd love it if you would go over there, write something nice about the show, leave us a five-star review. Helps more people find Blast Points when they're looking up Star Wars podcasts, and they'll look it up and they'll be like, these guys are talking about Indiana Jones. What the hell? But, and if you listen on Spotify, leave us a five-star review over there, too. And check out our website, BlastPointsPodcast.com, and make sure you're following us on all the social media, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and if you're on Facebook, make sure you're in our super chill group. If you want to support the show in a different way, we got the Blast Points Army on Patreon. We've we've been really busy. (laughs) Patreon people, Blast Points Army, we love each and every one of you, and we will be doing new stuff for the Patreon. We're going to do a commentary for The Last Crusade. We're going to get back to our Mandalorian commentaries. But we, things have just got to chill out. That's what's going on. Indie month has got, it's too crazy and things have got to chill out. Yeah, if, if only we had a dial to control our destiny, maybe we could make things work. But we're just running from the big giant marble right now. So doing what we can. So that about wraps up number 363 here. The Young Indiana Jones Chronicles Chronicles. It's a wild show. And I'm glad we finally got to this episode. Like I said, we've been 
This is one that we meant to do, and I'm glad we finally got to do it because it really is a fascinating story. I feel like we could do like a whole nother hour about young Indiana Jones. And don't be surprised if we do, because I, I have a feeling that young this isn't the last you'll hear of us talking about young Indy because there's literally 30 hours of young Indy to watch, and it will return. But speaking of return... Next week, like we said, you're going to want to tune in. The episode is going to come out on Friday, June 30th. So if you go see Dial of Destiny on Thursday, if you go to like Thursday night shows, or it's starting really early on Thursday, the next morning, our big Dial of Destiny episode will be out, and it's going to be a good one. You're definitely going to want to listen to that. So something to look forward to. But until then, everyone, thank you all so much for listening, and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Archaeology is not treasure hunting. I learned a lot about the way people live and things that they hold sacred. There are all kinds of ways of life in this world. One is not right, one is not wrong. Understanding others, we can accept them, and through acceptance comes <laughs> a peaceful world. Yeah. Good night, Indy. Good night. Henry Jones, Junior.